The swamp without a still is just a tent. A martini without olives doesn't quite make it. And Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones. Listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis. Of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, Mash Minute. Welcome back to Mash Minute, the Movies by Minute podcast analyzing the 1970 Robert Altman film Mash one minute at a time and talking quite a bit about the TV show as we go along. I'm Tierney Steele. I'm Megan. I love the TV show Coleman. And we have a guest. I don't know where she stands yet on the TV show, but I'm sure we'll find out. (laughs) Yes, I'm Jennifer Lavasser. I'm a curator at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum. And I'll say a few things about the TV show along the way, probably. Excellent. I'm like grinning ear to ear. So Jennifer works at one of my favorite places on Earth. It's awesome. Everyone should go. The Smithsonian is wonderful. I am looking at a Smithsonian magazine that I still have to read, but (laughs) I am not reading it yet. Today, I am going to focus on Minute 93, which begins with the PA describing another war movie that's going to be up for viewing. It ends with Hammond trying to contain his excitement about football. I'm so glad I get to talk about football. (laughs) I wish I was a little bit later, maybe, because I do love football. So, but it gave me a chance to think about, you know, one of the things I look at in watching movies like this, because they have a historical, have some historical relevance or content or relationship, they're not based, you know, they're not total fantasies, is sort of where are they hitting the mark and where are they really missing the mark? And so I, I did a little bit of homework and tried to understand sort of where in 1950, 51 um, in the setting of the movie is football, but also where is it in 1969 and 70 when the movie's coming out? So and being made, so um, gave me a chance to kind of look a little bit at it. So this is, um, yeah, this is kind of the beginning of a sequence, which is kind of nice. You know, I'm sure Megan will be happy to do a Freaky Friday situation later if you want to talk about <laughs> football, and she'll look at the Styles Astronauts Wives War, perhaps. That might be. <laughs> I do like football. Before we get to football, we need to talk about sexism. It's, I guess oh. it's just misogyny. Um, yeah, maybe that's if you're the, the general, note. the first thing you shouldn't do is say, go hook me up with a nurse for the night. It's yeah. gross on so many levels. Yes. Yeah. That's sexism is the second word on my page. Um, <laughs> it, it's so, and the first word is overt. So if that tells you where I'm thinking this is going, uh, we're on the same page. Uh, it, it's not surprising based on when this was made and when it's supposed to depict, but it's still, it's one of the things that I, I would imagine maybe this has been said before in um, previous minutes, but I would say this movie has not aged well. <laughs> the, obviously, the jokes that will get even worse in the next couple of minutes that are more racially based are really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer is one of the people who got my lovely package with minutes and how to guess and the technical requirements. And then there was a little paragraph that was like, hi, if you're not down for this, please just let me know and we'll figure something out because <laughs> I knew that some people 
people were not going to uh, be able to handle that. But you know what? I like your approach. We're looking at this is a piece of history. Yeah, most definitely. I think there are plenty of guys in this movie being inappropriate to women in ways that aren't so freaking blatant. I'm gonna I'm gonna develop a theory on this. So we are meeting General Hammond, who we've seen before. And we've seen his aide, but this is an uncredited actor who, again, I feel like some of these uncredited actors maybe deserved credits because they have speaking roles, important recurring characters throughout our film. This is Rick Nealon, who I am now completely fascinated by because his IMDb profile does not have a birth year. Interesting. Has only four credits, at least two, I think three, no, three of which are French and MASH. (laughs) MASH is the first one, 1970, and the last one is 1976. Wow, that's a really limited biography. But, you know, as uncredited actors, I guess that's kind of the way it goes. I mean, unless you're Matt Damon being uncredited or something like that, most of these guys are pretty, you know, they're background noise, and he's definitely noise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One thing I did notice in other works, which is weird because it doesn't actually describe whatever. I think one of them is a stage thing, but Mm. one of them just says, played the part of shipboard CPO in The Longest Day. And I know that has nothing to do with Star Wars, but you show me the letters CPO in a row and I'm going to get excited and make a Star Wars reference because it's a Star Wars year. And in tomorrow's minute, we'll be able to make more Star Wars references. Yes, tomorrow's minute, we'll get Star Wars minute references. But I just, it was one of the things because I was trying to find out anything I could on this guy and it caught my eye. Couple people call Hammond Charlie in this minute. He's obviously not standing on ceremony. Yeah, there's a level of familiarity between these guys that I didn't quite get. And maybe it's I missed it when I was watching earlier in the movie. Does this general appear? He appears at the beginning. Am I wrong? He's definitely mentioned throughout the movie, but I don't think we actually see him. Yeah, we saw him on the phone with Blake, but I think this is the first time he's been at the MASH. Right. So, but there's just, it's, you know, one of the things that comes to mind, and this is, you know, this is probably how you guys have been seeing this all along, is these little, like, sequences like this, this sort of, these little, I guess, what I saw them as called episodes, these little episodes are just, for the most part, very distinguishable from each other. They don't, there's not a terrible amount of overlap. I mean, there's kind of a general narrative that runs through. It's the, you know, path that these guys take while they're in this unit, and that's, you know, kind of the whole gist of it. But they're familiarity with the commanding officer is shocking. I mean, even, I don't know, I know they're trying to make light of it, but I don't quite get him as a character. The general has a very odd place in this. I mean, Colonel Blake is, you know, kind of the know-nothing type guy, but who is this guy? Like, what is his, I don't really know what function he's playing here. Yeah, and it's very odd because Blake, it makes sense that they have built up familiarity with him because he's there every day and he's also a doctor. I don't think General Hammond is medical. Well, that's what I could. Well, it sounds like, I mean, he, since he's in charge of, right, he's in charge of the evac evac unit. So he must have some function, but it doesn't seem as though he's a doctor. But then it's hard to distinguish doctors from just anyone else in this scenario. It does. It's not super clear who everybody is. 
I got the feeling that he was in charge of the evac hospital. So actually, he's like Colonel Merrill that Mm. we met in Japan that was running the Mm. hospital in Kokura, but maybe with a bigger purview. I hope I'm using that word correctly. Like, Merrill was in charge of that hospital. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he is in charge of the evac unit and the mashes that are associated with it and the other things. He's more of a logistics guy, maybe. I mean, that could be his thing. He may not have to have a medical background. I think that's true across the military, from what I understand. I mean, for gosh sakes, my father-in-law is a retired general, and he did everything from logistics to all kinds of other management. But he was a trained electrician. (laughs) He had had an electrical engineering degree. So it's one of those, you don't always perform the job in the military that you're really maybe qualified for. You do what you're good at. Uh, Maybe he's just good at managing well good in this in a very relative sense in this film (laughs) well and he's he's also regular army yeah but it's clear they're drawing a distinct line between hammond's approach to the regular army and houlihan's approach to being regular army because they're saying she's a fanatic about ritual you're here in duke's drinking directly from the cocktail shaker (laughs) like Hammond in the TV show is much more straight-laced and much more... He is much more proper. He just happens to also be a womanizer. Hmm. Like, he's regular army. He's the guy in charge. He doesn't know what's going on here, Blake. (laughs) I feel like is his main line. (laughs) And Hmm. G. Wood delivers it beautifully. But I just... Not a lot of character development going on there. And the big thing being he... um, likes a hot nurse. Different one every time he visits, apparently. Right. And, and that seems pretty common amongst any of the guys in this, uh, any of the men in this unit is they're basically all womanizers, except for maybe Radar. <laughs> they don't um, see any of that. Yeah, I feel but- like it has an extra icky feeling because he is the general. Like, this is like, not to get all hashtag me too, but this is the CEO chasing secretaries around the desk situation. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's more that he basically has his aide set something up. Like, he doesn't even, she's all lined up, Charlie. Like, that's what he gets. Yeah, yeah it is very icky. I'll go along with you on that one. So I'm a little weird. So I have a, I actually had a question on a separate subject, and maybe it's something you guys have looked into, or maybe, maybe you haven't. What's the deal with the airplanes flying overhead? It seems to happen on a regular basis in this movie, and I couldn't understand if that's something that there's a story to. Like the helicopters or airplanes? No, there's like an actual like airplane, like a jet plane. Oh, okay. There's there is a jet plane sound that seems to come in. Maybe it's just my I'm predisposed to think about airplanes because I eat, live and breathe airplanes and or spacecraft <laughs> all the time. But it happened all. The, it seemed to happen. I didn't I didn't know if there was a pattern to it, and I didn't go back to take a look. But it seemed like it happened more often than I would have thought. Our working theory is that this shows how close they are to the front. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A couple times it makes sense where they use it to cover a line like you see someone whispering something to someone else and you don't want to hear what they're saying so they have a jet go overhead. But then the times in this scene just seem random. I don't see any rhyme or reason to why they're going overhead. And they're obviously just a dropped in noise, which I was curious to see if you felt like (laughs) that sounded right, because I'm very distracted. This minute has some of the worst ADR I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) 
It's pretty bad. Yeah, the air, the airplane sound is. I, I I mean, I could distinguish it as a jet engine, probably a military jet sound. Um, Was the F four in those, Korea? That's a little too early. I think okay. F four doesn't come until Vietnam. Um, it's the only jet I know, to be perfectly honest, because the former director <laughs> of the museum flew them in Vietnam. So you have to know the director's airplane. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there, no, you know, I think Gene Krantz flew F eighty six Sabers in Korea. I want to say so it could be oh, something like that Saber does sound right so I mean they're not as advanced as an F4 they're going to be they're going to be a little bit earlier I mean jet technology only develops sort of really coincident with World War II so you're still pretty early when you but I mean you've got some really famous astronauts and NASA people who end up being you know they're they're in the thick of the Korean war fighting people like Neil Armstrong um, who had to I think bail out of his jet when he was in Korea um, and Gene Krantz flew there and a lot of really some of the most famous people which is I will say one of the cool things that I discovered that has I'm always looking for space connections it can't just be about airplanes or military (laughs) stuff so one of the things I found interesting is that these loudspeaker sequences were in part well they were they they discovered in editing that they were there weren't enough of them and so they went out and filmed some more they happened to film on July 20th 1969 the day that Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon (laughs) (laughs) so a super cool connection that is one of my favorite things i learned doing this entire movie (laughs) yeah i am very upset because i read a wonderful book about naval pilots in the korean conflict and i can picture the cover but i cannot remember the title and i hate to say it listeners I'll put it up later. It's in the room with my sleeping kid and I'm not risking waking him up to go get it. (laughs) And when I tried to Google it, it's all about people drawing a certain male genitalia in the sky. And that still happens, Tierney. Don't don't think it's just... It It happens all the time. And I'm just wondering, like, what the algorithm is picking up on here that that's what I'm getting instead of the... (laughs) Instead of the book about the Korean naval air pilots. All right, never mind. We'll just we'll just leave that out as a mystery for now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when I first asked you to be on, I was like, oh yeah, it's MASH. It's a war zone. There'll be tons to ask Jennifer about. Yeah. And I was like, there's surprisingly little aircraft in the movie. <laughs> it's true. And you know what's, well, we can talk, we'll talk about it in another minute. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I know for sure you've had Hal Bryan on. And so he could mm-hmm. probably run you through the details of every single thing that appears in this movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> Hal is awesome and knows all that stuff. I am probably about the worst person to ask in terms of the curators at the Air and Space Museum. I, I always, the, like the opening sequence kind of reminds me of what you see in Apocalypse Now and things like that. There's this, this is the beginning in my mind of the way in which we begin to, you know, this is a sort of early reference to Vietnam. And so how it, what role it plays in shaping how future filmmakers depict Vietnam and be- depict things like the use of vehicles, the use of aircraft, is, I find really interesting. So I'm very interested in vehicles generally, which is why I couldn't <laughs> figure out for the life of me what this vehicle is in the very beginning of the minute. It, it must be a Jeep is all I can figure, because yeah. it ha- but it just has yeah. a really weird top on it. So my, I grew, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, so my life has been you ah, know, the subtext Toledo. of the Jeep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so anytime Jeeps appear in film, 
films or if I find one in a museum, I always have to take a picture with it. So I was like, I must have spent, I must have gone back five or six times on just this minute alone to go, where's that <laughs> thing? Because it doesn't look right to me. I couldn't get the right angle on it. Like it's, it's shown mm. from the side and it's not super obvious, but it has to be. That's kind of what they were using. That's the standard. I just jeep and then I was way too busy being distracted by the fact that Volmer and Hammond are clearly talking in a room. I mean, I realize I don't have the greatest audio quality ever as a podcaster, but I mean, this this ADR is very, very obvious that they are sitting in a room later. There's a bit earlier, and I don't remember exactly when it happens, but two people are walking and they're heading, and I want to say it's like more of a, a scene that looks like it's actually out in an environment. Mm-hmm. But as they're talking and you see like activity in the background, I, I you just get this overwhelming sense of they're in a they're in a box. They are not out <laughs> in the wild. <laughs> they are in a box, and mm. the audio quality is that bad. You know, it, it, the fact that this movie is in the sort of sort of in the league with all these preserved films at the Library of Congress. I'm not sure why that that hasn't been addressed. Why they haven't tried to improve on the on the audio quality in some way? Because some mm. of that I think you can work with now. I would imagine and help out a little. That would be interesting. I mean, I know it was cleaned up for the DVD and Blu-ray, obviously, but Mm -hmm. it hasn't had, you know, a Scorsese restoration done to it. Right. Or was that Coppola that did all those? One of them. Mm-hmm. Someone paid a lot of money and Lawrence of Arabia looks great. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who was, orga- I don't remember who was organizing that. But we we see them out and about having drinks outside, as yeah. they do, as we've established. Life. Yep. Yeah. And um, Duke loves Margaret. Duke loves Margaret. <laughs> I cannot look at Tom Skerritt and think anything but Top Gun anymore. It's, you know, like, <laughs> he's forever. It, that's just how he is in my brain. I can't. I know he did a ton of other things. It's sort of like mm-hmm. looking at Roy Scheider in another role. It, it, he. That's just he is who he is and that's the one you know that's you know just Chief Brody. So yeah I, I, I can't look at him and take him seriously. Donald Sutherland a lot easier to imagine in other roles. <laughs> I do like that Hawkeye is playing it very cool and Trapper's like, no, no, we have a very fine football. Like, it's just we're we're setting up for this conversation about football, Um, (laughs) which I have to say like that. This all starts because Trapper says you can't blame Henry because Hot Lips Houlihan can't stand her name. And for a little bit of devil's advocate, they're defending Henry. And actually, it's not Henry's fault that she hates this nickname. Now, you could say that he could be enforcing discipline so that it was not being, you know, Mm -hmm. try and stamp it out. I'm sure there are things you learn as you move up to become a... But these guys are incredibly, uh, they're obviously incredibly manipulative in Mm. this very playful way. Granted, it's incredibly sexist and all that other, you know, negative stuff. But in this world, in this, the language they're speaking of, you know, the 1950s, 60s, 70s, it's playful. And Mm. I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan 
fan of the humor of the movie. It's not like I don't personally find it funny, but I can see how there is a segment that would find it have found it funny in 1970. I can appreciate that aspect of it at least. There was a comment I read about the movie earlier about having, it's almost like you have to be in the right frame of mind to find it funny. You have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes or, you know, like think about it. You have to be in the right zone to really get the humor. And I don't know that that zone still exists, especially you don't want to get in. We don't need to get into the Harvey Weinstein stuff, but it's kind of, you know, it's in that same zone now. And how does, and I've asked that question of a lot of, in a lot of random circumstances lately is how much does that then influence how we look back at the past? Even the, re- I mean, the recent past is a little more obvious, but how do we look back at stuff like of this era? And I think it's definitely, it definitely makes you take a second look. Yeah. And there's, there's a difference between do you completely try and erase it from history? Do you try and change it for modern day? Do you leave it as is and say, hey, look here are what the problems are, which ah, that's what Megan and I do. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the only frame of mind I want to be in for this minute is enjoying Hammond's crazy eyes, which we're going to get more of next minute. I just, him being excited about football for some reason absolutely <laughs> delights me. Every Everything his face is doing, I find adorable. And then, yeah, Duke drinking from the cocktail shaker is just not something I could let pass without comment. <laughs> so is there an explanation? Is that his real name or is this a, is this a nickname? Because I know Hawkeye's name is sort of explained or discussed, but is Duke his real name? As far as I can tell, Duke is his real name. Yeah, I think even his in the real book. name is Duke Forrest. We're gonna get into it. I'm sorry okay. in advance. <laughs> well, we're not gonna get into his name, but we're gonna get into Duke being from a background that oh yes, oh yes, also makes us. Need to think about how we're going to address historical artifacts going forward in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I'm not doing a very good job of selling these future minutes, and I am actually really excited to talk to people about this ridiculous, like, I have a theory about Hammond and the aid coming up. I want us to dig into how much of this was planned ahead of time and how much of it is, you know, just being made up as we go along. I don't know. I think there's a lot to unpack here. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an unusual, it's not the way I I know when I first saw this film, probably in the late nineties or so, it's definitely not what I, how I looked at it. I look at it in a much different light now, but there's a lot more that makes it, I think some, in some ways more interesting and more fun to talk about. Aha. It's almost like you could talk about it one minute at a time. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll get more of your history with MASH. If people come back tomorrow, anything else for minute 90? Three? I think I'm good. Woohoo! Um, oh, I can save for next minute. It's fine. Okay, and I I will try and find the title of that book and post it in the Mash Minute Post Ep Listeners Ward and not make people. Although you know, hey, if you want to Google what sky penises peni look like, whatever. You know what? You do you. <laughs> what is the yeah? What is the plural? It's penises. These not, okay. These are not things I ever thought I would need to know. <laughs> My poor Google search history. 